Today's episode of Hoops Adjacent is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to hoopsadjacent.robinhood.com. That's hoopsadjacent, all lowercase, .robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I am David Aldrich here in D.C. My man, Waz Lambray, out in L.A. Waz, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm great. Um, I'm battling a cold, but, you know, this is going to be my flu game, man. So I think I still got a great episode in me. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. You got to play hurt. You know, Jordan, Jordan, that flu game. Um, well, there's some, there's some doubt about that. I'll just say it that way. I don't know if he really had the flu. Well, he was sick. I shouldn't say that. He was sick. He was sick. But he wasn't dying. You know what I'm saying? Jay, play the conspiracy music. <laughs> all I'm saying is he was sick, but he wasn't dying. That's all I'm saying. Like, it's not like he needed a kidney. You know what I mean? Right, like, that's right. all I'm saying. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. Um, hey, man, wanted to talk first this week about a couple of things. We have Chris Herring on from 538.com who uh, covers the NBA for 538, does a great job, wrote a couple of really interesting, thoughtful pieces that we'll get into in a few minutes. Um, but wanted to talk about the return of two guys who have been out all season, basically, for their respective teams. One is Kyrie Irving finally coming back to Brooklyn after having some shoulder issues uh, that it kept him out for a long time. And then the other is Zion Williamson finally uh, being cleared to kind of return to action by the Pelicans. And Zion has not played at all for New Orleans this year. Um, the discussion point to me is kind of the nature of stardom, especially in the NBA. And it's always been kind of uh, a dichotomy, if you will, when it comes to this league. And I'm talking about going back to its very beginnings with with uh, George Mikan and the Minneapolis Lakers in the 40s and 50s. And they were the first great team. They won four, five championships right off the bat. And they literally had to change the rules because teams were holding the ball because they couldn't compete with them because George Mikan was too dominant. And so that's why they came up with the 24-second clock because teams will hold, stall the game out and the games were ending 20 to 18 and nobody was watching it. And so there has always been since the very beginning of this league the notion that great players, one or two great players, have outsized influence on the game and on the league. So the idea that 
Kyrie and Zion are back now kind of speaks to what I wanted to talk to you about, which is players and teams. And we always hear about great teams and, and you have to have great, a number of great players to make a great team, but it's still about those guys, those individual stars that move the needle, whether it's ratings whether it's, you know, a team going from a chance to having no chance in the, in the playoffs to having a chance to get through the playoffs and get to the finals, you know, whether it's merchandise sales, everything, it's still about the individual star, the individual superstar talent and whether they can come, whether they can be there for you because part of being great is your availability, you know, yep. being able to play every night. Yep. And so I just, it just interests me that those two guys came back and so the discussion is not so much about their teams. It's about them as stars, but that's the price that we've always paid in the NBA. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting, Dave, uh, th- that these two guys are, we're talking about them together. Uh, JJ Reddick does, does a cool little podcast for the ring. I don't mean to call it a little podcast, but you know what I mean? He does a podcast for them. Um, and he had Zion on the other day and Zion hasn't really done a lot of media. Yeah, uh, he yeah. shied away from it at Duke. Like his parents and Duke themselves protected him from it. He's been yeah. hurt most of the season, and injured players aren't required to really talk to the media. So he hasn't had to do a lot of media. So this was my first chance to sort of check out, you know, Zion and get a feel for this kid and who he is. And and like I'm not gonna lie, I was pretty impressed. Right? Um, there's just something about him. Like he's just got this magnetism where he just yes. seems like a really positive, upbeat, humble guy. Like, he's special. And I know we use Mm -hmm. that word a lot, but, like, he's special. And not in just the sense of his personality and his disposition. It's also his talent, right? Like, he has this special talent, this gift. But he's also, his personality is going to, I think, allow for him to be that kind of special player where he marries, you know, this incredible talent with this incredible ability to bring people together around yeah. something just by the nature of the person he is. And unfortunately, if you're Brooklyn, Kyrie's the opposite of that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I think the thing about Kyrie that's, that's, um, that, that's problematic if you're trying to build a team around him, you know, it, he's got like the opposite problem of a, somebody like AD, right? Where like, mm-hmm. he's a really talented player, um, but his profile doesn't really match his talent. Um, mm-hmm. And he's also not this personality-driven person, right? Mm-hmm. He's just kind of this extremely talented basketball player where I think Kyrie is an extremely talented basketball player, but you would never put him in the, the categories of the ADs, the Giannis's, the LeBrons, the James Hardens, the Steph Currys. Like, he's not that level of player, but because of his celebrity and, you know, his salary and his stature on the team, he feels a need to be the leader on this team because by de- you know just by default he's the most he's one of the most important people on the team it's just that you know it's one of those things where <laughs> i don't think lebron is freakishly talented as say a tim duncan at being a team leader right mm-hmm. but i think mm-hmm. lebron's talent is so outsized and yeah. when he gets rolling i don't care who his teammate is it's like i know i know we can win 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what LeBron says in interviews. It doesn't matter how I feel about him. It doesn't matter about practices. His talent is so enormous that I believe that I'm going to win if I just follow what this guy is doing out there. That's the problem for Kyrie. He's not that. He's not. Well, no, no, he's not. But nobody is. That's right. the thing. I mean, nobody's LeBron. And so LeBron, because of his size, all, all the things we know about LeBron as yeah. a basketball player. And his he's always been pass first. Always. Always. Yep. And so that just changed. And Kyrie, and I, and I know exactly what you're saying. I'm not being critical of Kyrie when I say he is a score first, pound the ball point guard. Yep. That's what he does. The problem, as I see it with Kyrie, is that that is not the way this league is going. This league is going completely away from that model in terms of being able to score. So uh, it's it's going to be it, – it's just going to be fascinating to watch what happens in Brooklyn the next couple of years. Yeah, and it's, then you throw KD into that mix. Right, <laughs> especially when your boy comes out last night – he just got back on the floor. You've been playing for seven seconds and you start talking about your teammates already talking about, we need more pieces to get to that next level. I'm like, brah, you are the next piece. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, Aren't you getting all the loot? Aren't you and Katie getting all the cheddar to come here and take us to that next level? What are you talking about? We need more pieces to compliment me and KD and DeAndre Jordan and Dinwiddie. What? <laughs> yeah. And you know, you know, it's interesting, David, and I'm glad this we're all hoops adjacent so we can tackle this. Um, yeah. I think the problem with Kyrie is that I bet people have been calling him articulate his whole life. Oh, yeah. And sure, a lot sure. of it <laughs> is that he doesn't talk with a black scent. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. people associate that type of way of speaking English that's more associated with white yeah. people, quite frankly. And mm-hmm. like, there's a sort of, for a certain kind of person, there's a mm-hmm. sort of like shock, like, oh, wow, this black person is talking this way. When in oh, reality, sure. Kyrie's not articulate. He's not. Mm-hmm. He's bad at getting his thoughts across. <laughs> He's just not good at it. And by the way, you know, you, you, Compare and contrast that to what um uh to to Beast Mode's press conference after the mm-hmm. Seahawks loss, right? Like right, Marshawn right, right, Lynch right. is not somebody who certain people would profile as quote unquote articulate. Right, and the words right, that he you- was using were a lot of slang and colloquial language in Oakland and all of that. But guess what, David? We knew exactly what that man meant when did. he was speaking. Of course. And exactly. that's the Take difference. care of your chicken. That's going to, you got to put that on a t-shirt. Like yes. was saying. <laughs> you, know? you know, but Kyrie's not good at um explaining his thoughts. He's not, yeah. he's bad at communication. He's done it time and time and time again, where he's doing yeah. the pseudo woke stuff, third eye stuff on right. Instagram. Right, 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 and right. He's doing the stuff that he did all last year in Boston. And now he's doing it again. It's like, every time he talks, it's like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. No, and you know what? It's interesting that you brought that up about how he how he expresses himself. I think there's some truth to that, Was I don't know if it's all about he doesn't speak in slang or whatever. I think it's just more that it's always the same message with Kyrie. Whether it was when when he was on Cleveland the first time before LeBron before LeBron got there or whether it was after LeBron left whether it was when he was in Boston or whatever, or whether it was what it, you know, him just saying this in Brooklyn the other night, the message always is the same. 
And Frank, I mean, I don't want to, we don't curse gratuitously on hoops adjacent. Curse when it's necessary. But the message I always get from Kyrie is, y'all ain't shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's the message I get from Kyrie, no matter where he's at. You know, and, and see, to me, that is just, I don't know how you, that's hard to deal with to me. (laughs) You know, you break it down however you want. But that, to me, is the overlying message you get over and over from Kyrie in terms of dealing with his with his teammates, you know. And so, and and these guys are um, not uh, simpletons, Dave. Like it's not hard. Right. Like they can't pull up your record. Like what have you right. done without LeBron James on your team, yeah. sir? Yeah, yeah, sir. And you know exactly, <laughs> exactly. We so, can point man, to how- a thousand things LeBron has done without you. Right. <laughs> like right. what have you done? Yeah. Yeah. No, bro. You know, so that's to me is the issue, but it gets back to that notion of stardom and you have two guys who are star players. There's no doubt that, well, I should say Zion's going to be a star player. The assumption is he will be a star in the NBA. He hasn't done it yet. But you, like you said, two Zion seems to be a completely chill dude, young man, kind of grounded. Um, Whereas Kyrie has just kind of been this entity Right. This kind yeah. of one off kind of his own thing. Like, like it would not surprise me at all if, you know, Kyrie would have been to me like a great golfer or tennis player. Cause I think it's like his talent is such that he's, a, he's going to be great at it. But I think he's the kind of dude that might've been better off playing a, an individual sport as opposed yeah. to a team sport. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't take that. And again, I'm not being critical of him, but I just, bruh, I don't know. I don't know. I just, it, it's just the same thing. A year after year after year, yeah. it's the same thing. And and, and it just would, seems so self-serving, you know? It's, yeah. it's, it's It's like, and and whatever, people can accuse me of being a Kobe hater, whatever. But the story, you remember when the stories came out, they won the championship in 2016. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he's doing in the locker room is calling Kobe Bryant on the phone. Right, right, right. Because right, that's right. his idol and that's who he reveres. And, yeah. you know, it, look, man, mama mentality, Kobe system, the muse, blah, 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 <laughs> blah. And I get that Kobe has participated in a lot of his own myth making, but I don't have to participate in it. Right. Right. right Quite right, frankly, right. a lot of the stuff that Kobe was about was toxic and yeah. it's not conducive to team building and it's yeah. not conducive to having an atmosphere of like, all right, I love coming to work every day and I love yeah. being around the people that I work with. And I want to, you know, I want to achieve a common goal with these people. I don't think a lot of the stuff that Kobe was about, um, you know, further those 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 um those goals, you know. Yeah. Uh, I will say, yeah, yeah. I would just say this in defense of Kyrie. You know, I, I think a lot of times it's like a game of telephone. You just hear what somebody said and you try to repeat it. I think a lot of guys, and Kobe did it too. They see what Michael Jordan did, or what Magic right. or Bird or Isaiah Thomas, all these all these great players from the eighties and nineties did, and say, well, that's how you have to lead, and. There's there's some truth to that. Um, Michael was not a good teammate. Let's be real about it. <laughs> Michael was about Michael. Um, he became a good teammate, but you know before there was some seasoning there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> over a five or six year period, whether it was Phil or, or Scotty or whoever it was that kind of got Michael to see it, or Michael himself being becoming more self aware, maybe. Um, 
But, you know, Michael wasn't trying to pass the ball now. Let's not be, let's not get it twisted. <laughs> that was not his first move. Like, it's LeBron's first move. So, um, and, you know, Magic was a tough guy to play with. Burr was a tough guy to play with. Zeke was a tough guy to play with, you know, because they demanded things of their teammates. And they were not shy about getting in, getting in the teammates if they saw something that they didn't like. Um, so I think guys today want to emulate that and they feel like this is the way. But, I don't know. The game's different. Everything's different now, but it's not the same. Y'all don't have that gravitas that those guys did. You know, to your point, that success, whether it was, you know, Michael Jordan won a national championship. You know, Mm -hmm. Magic Johnson won a national championship. Isaiah Thomas won a national championship, and Larry Bird was in a national championship. Okay, you know, so they brought some stuff to the table as as college from college that you had to listen to. And then in the pros, their teams went to finals, okay? And they didn't go to the second round or whatever. They certainly didn't lose 60 games in a season. If if you're about that business, your team doesn't lose 60 games. You know what I'm saying? I'll never forget, like you said about Kobe in 2010 when they when they won when they beat Boston but it was you know it was meta world peace yeah yeah and I remember I remember uh, Michael's son tweeting after the game don't you ever compare Kobe Bryant to my father (laughs) you know what I mean and I was like I was like, no lies told there, because I ain't never seen I ain't never seen Michael Jordan's team lose by thirty eight in the finals game, okay? <laughs> and I ain't never seen Michael go six to twenty four in the finals game, okay? So please, yeah. Know. And, and, and you know the, the, the and, and you know not to just harp on Kyrie and 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 bash the guy because it can all off off often feel like that, but yeah. you know Griff tells a story about I think it was the first year in Cleveland. Where, you know, I think LeBron yelled at him like he had a game where he had zero assists. And it's like, yo, bro, yeah. you can't have games where you have zero assists. Right, 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 right. And then I think the yeah. very next game he came out and had like 12 or set like yeah. a career high yeah. in assists just to prove right. a point. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that's what's most frustrating about Kyrie, right? It's like all of these things are in him. Yeah, to right. be this 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 guy that we know he's capable of being, but for whatever reason, you know he just has other priorities, and you know that that's just gonna be what it's gonna be. I I have trouble envisioning Kevin Durant being the guy that brings out. Well, the, I mean, this. if that's your boy now, if that's your boy. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. I, look, I I may I I don't disagree with you, but I'm saying. That's your boy. That's the guy that was the package deal. Oh, we come together. Man. Okay. That's, that's an issue. That's going to be tough. Now, Kate, now KD got to step to him and say, look, come on, cuz. You know, like we, you yes. know, and maybe it's, maybe it's like him and Westbrook. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I, I look, I share your skepticism, but I'm willing to give it a shot. You have to give it a shot and see how that dynamic works on that team with those two being the leaders. You have to see, but my boy talking about, I need, we need more. What? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, come on, man. We give you this gap here because KD's not playing. We, nobody's expecting y'all to do nothing and, and this year. And that's <laughs> the thing. It's like, what do you like? We st- there's still 41 games to be played, Kyrie. Like, yeah. this idea of the off season and fatalistic thinking. It's like, what, what's going on with you? Just right. play, right? Just win. And bro, bro, you just got here. What are you? Like, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Ain't like you've been balling out the first half of the season, and you know you frustrated because you know because y'all ain't won enough games. Okay, also, that could be. I think the anxiety that Dave is like, he has to understand. Like it, a lot of it is like he has to understand that this team's not going to be just great just because I'm on it. Right. 
Right. <laughs> but to not even like acknowledge, well, you know, we don't have KD. So I don't know what this team is going to look like with, right. uh, with me and KD. And maybe it won't be enough, but you don't even know yet. So how can you, how can you make that statement? I just don't. I don't get it. Anyway, the point is you can't win without guys like Kyrie Irving on your team, you know, and he did make the shot. Okay. You can never take that away from dude ever. He made the shot to win a chip. So I'm not getting it twisted. He's a great player, great player. Um, so we will see what happens, but, um, we're going to bring in Chris Herring from 538.com in a minute to talk about the 76ers, to talk about Chris Paul in Oklahoma City and other stuff going around the association. So we'll have him here in just a second. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain on leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. Now, while the nature scene that I love is usually Malbec, a couple of glasses. I don't know if that's your thing, but that's my thing <laughs> to get me calm late at night. But that doesn't work for everybody. I understand that. What What do you do? You do anything in particular? Um, sometimes I'll take uh, a couple of Benadryl, just keep it pushing. Okay. Um, fall asleep gotcha. watching a movie or something, and and hopefully don't pick a too crazy or scary movie because that I think will will no, affect no, you. Can't sleep. do that. Try to watch yeah. something like World War Two in color. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> something like like old old uh, reruns of of uh, the new Bob Newhart show or something like that. There uh, you go. You, you get in the frame of mind. So whatever you do, uh, you should check out Calm for a limited time. Our listeners can join LeBron James in using Calm with a forty percent discount to an annual membership at Calm dot com slash hoops h o o p s. Unlock content to help you focus ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash hoops. That's calm.com slash hoops. What is it? Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Hoops. Comma is on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and like the most in his I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than shit. With David, David Aldridge. Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Come on. We're friends, aren't we? And then he yes. cut their lungs out and gave everybody on TV. <laughs> Michael was not your friend. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Welcome to Hoop 548. We have ignition. Hello, bro. Five, four, and welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I am David Alden. And joining us from the great website 538.com is our man Chris Herring. Chris, thank you for hitting it with Waz and me this week. No problem at all, guys. I appreciate you having me on. I, I hope you brought your advocates with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I want you know it's funny, Waz. I wanted that's exactly what I wanted to ask Chris about. Like right from jump is like you guys have done so much great statistical work with the Carmelo, you know, model and everything that you use. I just still wonder, like when you say, "Hey, I'm Chris Herring from 538.com." What's the reception you get, kind of generally, when you're talking to people about NBA stuff? 
Uh, they want to know why I had a part in getting Trump elected most of the time. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's either that or it's, you know, it's uh, it's people being mad from two years ago when, you know, when the model was still kind of messed up and said that the Warriors only had so much of a chance to get to the finals. You remember that year the Sixers got really hot at the end of the season and they were on like a 13-game winning streak. And their right. chances of winning the finals in our model like surpassed the Warriors, and people were furious. And it's like I don't have anything. I'm not smart enough math-wise to have right. any input into that model. I just, you know, I just look at what it says and I say, "Oh, that's weird." That's kind of my. Yeah. There's just, oh, that's weird. But um, yeah, more more often than not, people recognize it for the politics stuff. But I'd, I'd like to think that the sports stuff has gotten a little bit more attention in the last few years and. Um, sometimes because of the kind of wacky or, you know, just fun stories that I get to do on the sports side. I want to ask you, Chris, before we get into some, some, some of the stuff you've written recently for 538, you were at the journal before, um, and a lot of your work over there was, you know, and for lack of a better term, analytics based, right? It was like the, you would present findings that were empirically based, you know, um, what's the difference between what you're doing? now and what you were doing then i feel like obviously your stuff is still analytics based but it's at a different home what's the difference would you say now that you've been there for a little while in your work it's really funny that you asked that um because i remember when i was going over to 538 um it was really clear that they liked my work a lot uh they were trying to pivot a little bit more toward reporting um most of their stuff was was kind of empiric empirically driven and stuff like that, but maybe not as much interviewing that they were doing and stuff. And I, I like spending time in locker rooms and talking to players and coaches. Um, so I told them that if I came over that, you know, I had to be able to still travel and go to games and stuff like that to interview folks. Um, I think the biggest difference is that <laughs> there, there's stuff that I could do with the journal that would be more fun than anything. And, um, you know, I've done stories in the past. I remember doing a story, uh, several years ago at the journal about Tyson Chandler and, you know, Nick fans in particular know uh, probably all too well that Tyson gets sick somewhat frequently for, for an NBA player. And I think when I wrote the story um, I had gone back, I can't remember what website I used to track injuries and, and injury data and stuff like that. But Tyson had missed more games as a result of an illness than any other player in the span that I was looking at. Um, and so I was trying to do reporting around it, aside from just the numbers I found. And um, what I thought was really interesting and what I kind of made a big point, focal point of the story was that Tyson's illnesses basically started happening almost at exactly the same time that he started having children. Uh, <laughs> and so I wrote the story, you know, I, I did some reporting around Tyson as a father and, you know, he's had like. Sunday New York Times write-ups about him and stuff like that, about how he spent so much time with his kids. His kids were always at practices and stuff. And so I was kind of drawing a line between the idea of Tyson being a really committed, dedicated father and kind of blaming in a, in a fun sort of way, his children for how often he gets sick. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've certainly done some fun stories at 538 that were driven by numbers, but it's funny because even when I do them, the first question that I'm generally asked is like, what do the numbers say? What can we do with them from a graphic standpoint? So I did a story on Kevin Durant, how often his shoes come off during games. Uh, 
And someone was like, well, what's the 538 angle on the story? I'm like, it's a story about, you know, one of the two or three best players in the world that his shoes fall off. Like, let's not worry about the numbers part of it. So, you know, and that's not to, to take a dig at anybody, but I just think, I think sometimes it, it's a, a site that takes the numbers so seriously more often than not that sometimes you kind of forget to laugh and just have fun and just do a fun story. And so I think I've tried to bring more of that personality to the sports side. I think, you know, I did a story last year about uh, how and why there's so many bats that get into the Spurs arena at AT&T Center. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I just think sometimes it, it doesn't have to be the most rigorous uh, calculation or, you know, um, inquiry done from a numerical standpoint. If you have that, fine. And maybe you can make that fun as well. But I think sometimes you can just kind of lean into something that it's just a simple counting story um, that, that can be fun with some quotes and, you know, some anecdotes and stuff like that. And I'm, so I think that's, you know, I don't see myself as this great, you know, um, I don't know anything about coding. I don't know how to do pivot tables on Excel or anything like that, but you know, I, I know how to, you know, I know how to have a conversation with a player that can get him to open up about something lighthearted. And I think that I've brought some of that personality to the, the sports page. Step your V lookup game up, man. Come on. <laughs> I, I have coworkers that have been promising for a while. I'm going to like sit in on a seminar with them just to kind of get an understanding of how that stuff works and understand R and, and, and some of those things like that. Yeah. So I want to, you know, I wanted to pivot to some of the stuff that you, uh, that you've written recently and the, the, you know, the two pieces, one on the Sixers and one on Chris Paul. And the Chris Paul stuff fascinates me because, look, I was one of the people that thought he's not going to be there more than a month. They'll trade him to Miami at some point. He has to go to Miami, doesn't he? Um, and I still believe that he's going to be traded. But I do wonder, uh, given the success, the unexpected success they've had and how seductive that may be, even to a guy like Sam Presti, who is always – who always wants to be ahead of the curve in terms of, you know, exchanging a player for value uh, as opposed to waiting a year too long. But the fact that they have had gotten so much, you know, bad ink for going through three league MVPs with nothing to show for it in terms of NBA <laughs> titles. Like, do you kind of, do you kind of lead, do you kind of hang on to this good season, this good unexpected season, like, like Rose hung on to that piece of wood at, at the end of Titanic and wouldn't let Jack on, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and just milk it for all it's worth. Or do you make the cold calculated decision that there is nothing that Chris Paul can do, but regress to the mean this year and that we should absolutely move him right now while he has a semblance of high trade value? It's so interesting. I think you've really got two teams in the league that are kind of in that exact spot. And I think probably the Thunder more than anybody, but the other team I look at um, in particular where I think they've got kind of a master GM is, uh, is Masai Ujiri in Toronto, where you've got a team that probably, you know, in, in a normal setting probably is not going to win a championship with, with this roster. It's not um, – it's not a knock on the roster, but, you know, I don't think that you'd normally trade away Paul George and Russell Westbrook and then still expect to contend for a title. Um, and even with that roster they had was probably not going to win a title. So I, I, I would tend to think that, uh, that Sam Presti probably looks at the writing on the wall, says that they're a really fun story. Um, you know, and I think a really decent roster, but you have so many draft picks, um, and he's had such a good track record of finding stars and, you know, and 
maximizing them and finding ways to maximize them. It, it, for me, it would be hard to believe that if you've got teams really knocking down your door to take someone that has that much money left on his contract off your hands, that you're not willing to hear that out and to potentially just give give Chris Paul up to whoever is willing to give you something good for him. Uh, he's been great this season. It doesn't change the fact that he generally at some point gets hurt. Um, he's basically been an every night player for them, which is something he hasn't done and, and credit to him for, I think changing his diet around a little bit to try to uh, keep himself uh, on the court more and be ready to play more minutes. But um, you know, it is a very good story. Uh, obviously one that I thought was worthy of writing about, but that it, it, I would be really, really surprised if there's real, real interest in Chris Paul, and, and there should be based on how well he's played. If uh, if Sam Presti doesn't decide to to deal him, especially because you've you've got Shea Gilgis Alexander who's playing so well anyway, and the fact that you've got other pieces on the roster that um, you know I'm sure other teams will have interest in them as well. And why wouldn't you sell those pieces off to try to build for the future? Which at this point, with all the picks they've got. Um, down the line, that, that's clearly the, the focus and the aim for this team. See, I'm fascinated by the idea of what's Chris Paul's value, right? Which is a which is a loaded word, and because it's a new paradigm, right? Like this this whole <laughs> supermax era is extremely brand new, and this is the first time we're dealing with the idea of a guy making, you know, forty two million dollars or whatever it is that Chris Paul is making. Um, and how much of the cap, like by percentage that, that number is and like, what's it worth to have Chris Paul on your team? I think the context matters here. I think on OKC to have Chris Paul be essentially your best player so that you can win the seventh or eighth seed in the West is not, I don't know that that's the best use of a 42 million contract, $42 million contract for a guy of his skill level and his age particularly, but you know, I look at somewhere like Milwaukee. If Chris Paul was making that money over there, I think he'd be worth every penny. Oh, there's a couple teams that I can think of. I mean, Milwaukee is one where, you know, even though they, they're they winning at a 70-win pace yeah. at this point. So it's crazy to think that they need a shakeup. They don't. But, man, if you put him there, um, hell, I was a firm believer that, if you know, I was very surprised that the Sixers went and got Horford because I kept thinking to myself, um, yes, it's, it's very obvious that a, a good center would help you because then you can use them to back up and bead and not get eaten alive in those minutes. But w- as soon as Milwaukee didn't uh, keep Brogdon, I thought Brogdon would have been a fantastic fit in Philly. And we I all think, did. Yeah, and, and I think just generally, <laughs> even if it's not Brogdon, just a hell, you take George Hill or anybody else, just a, a good point guard who doesn't necessarily need the ball constantly – and Chris Paul obviously does have the ball in his hands a lot, but someone who's more of a traditional point guard so that Simmons can just do whatever is most helpful for the team and not worry about handling the ball and not worrying about um, having to fill a certain role in that way. But yeah, it, it's one of those things where his number is so high in terms of the cap that it right. makes you wonder who can go after him. What can you even send back that, you know, that comes close to that number that, that Oklahoma city would even want. Uh, obviously picks are going to be the driving factor, but I, I've always had that question um, with regards to what is someone worth? And if they put you over the top for that one year, you remember Alex Rodriguez with his contract in baseball and you, you've had different people where you see him get 200, $300 million. And you're like, man, it's a lot of money. But if you win one title, is it worth that? It, it, does it take two titles? I have no clue, but 
Um, it's a really, really fascinating question because of how much money he's making, because of how old he is, because of the injury concerns that you have with him, um, because of the fact that he, he doesn't always get along really well with every teammate that he has. Uh, there's the risk from that standpoint, too. But there's no question that he makes your team better if he's healthy. And we're seeing that um, in abundance right now with the Thunder. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Sixers in passing, and want to get into that as well because you wrote a good piece uh, about them and um, the the notion that everybody kind of thinks they're they're slacking or they're somehow you know off pace. You point out that they're pretty much on pace in terms of wins of where you all at least predicted that they would be this year. But I am fascinated by the idea that. They are and they are actually much better this season without Embiid on the floor compared to last season when he wasn't on the floor. And so when you get into the idea of Horford and what and is he worth it and has it been a good investment, I think you have to say that at least in that one area, I think it has been a good investment, even if his individual numbers are down. Yeah, no, I think there's an argument to be made there for sure. And I, I think on some level you know, that, that story got into some semantics where, um, you know, we, we asked the question, were they underachieving? And we said, no, but let's be honest. If, if you are expected to win the East or, you know, to be in the Eastern conference finals, you're expecting to be a, a one, two, maybe a three seed at worst when you finish sixth, which maybe they won't finish there. But if we're talking about them finishing sixth, you know, it doesn't mean that they can't win the East. I think they still would be capable of doing it, but that, that's underachieving by most people's standards. And so I get why people say that. I, I think with so many things, the, the Bucks decision to let uh, Brogdon walk, I think with the Sixers decision to sign Horford to that deal, which in terms of the money didn't bother me for this year, but you know, I think it gets in the same territory that the Chris Paul thing does. Um, man, four years is a long time. And you know, how does someone age? We know Horford could shoot. We know that he's a smart player. He's a good locker room guy. Um, so the, the bigger question is just how does he hold up over time? And I don't know if three years from now, if that's a good deal or not. Um, he does shore up one of their biggest problems, which, you know, I look back at that series um, that the Sixers were in and Embiid, when, when they lost to Toronto, I think he was a plus 89 in that seven game series. He was a positive plus minus in six of the seven games and they still lost the series. Um, and it just tells you about how horribly negative they were and how big of a minus they were in the few minutes that he wasn't on the court. And so it, it, it makes sense that they went after that position to try to shore that up. Um, but it is really interesting that, you know, that they haven't really found a gel yet between uh, Horford and Embiid and really that Simmons has played a lot better in the minutes that Embiid is not there too. And I think there are a lot of interesting kind of long-term questions that, you know, if it doesn't work out this year, what direction do you go with, with that team? Because you've got two really, really good players who are both very young, but have very different playing styles, have very different atmospheres that they thrive in. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, you know, I think there are a lot of questions that have to be asked. We, we're sitting there watching Markel Fultz play a great game last night against the Lakers. Um, nah, they're three 20 point games the whole season. I don't know why we got to throw a party for this kid because if he's, well, it, it's still early though. And I think what yeah. I'm saying is that if he, if he develops the ability to shoot, which is still a big if, and you're right, like he hasn't balled out this season, but I think the thing is if, and when you see him develop more, 
particularly if he comes around with a jump shot before Ben Simmons does, I think it becomes interesting because that was part of the reason that you were comfortable letting Fultz go is the idea that Simmons, it was such a foregone conclusion that Simmons was going to be better. And obviously, like I said, Fultz has a long way to go before we really entertain that question further. But um, it's pretty interesting to me that Brett Brown has been pretty vocal at this point saying like, we need Ben to shoot and he won't do it. Um, and it, it's, it, I don't really know what the dynamic is there. I don't know if that's going to be a this season thing or next season, but, um, I don't know what, what it is with that team, but it, you know, it still seems like there's one piece away. I think they realize it. Um, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the bucks have won the conference, but, um, but it's hard to see the Sixers team right now as constructed being so much better than, than the bucks or anybody at this point, particularly when they're in fifth or sixth in the conference. I want to, uh, I want to talk to you about why it is, you know, the Sixers, why the model love the Sixers so much, right? Like, I can think about my own model, the Big Waz model. Um, let's call it, <laughs> let's call it Rihanna. That's what, we'll, ah. that's what we'll call it for now. But to me, I just think, you know, you mentioned that Raptors series. The Raptors people with a straight face would tell you that was easily their toughest series of the playoffs last year. Um and, you know, look, they won at the buzzer in game seven, right? Like, technically, like, that's kind of true. It was their only game seven, and it was a extremely hard-fought close game. Um, and I thought, you know, and, and when you watch the games, they felt every bit as talented. They felt like the equal of the Raptors that series, you know. Some people might say they should have took that series. Uh, I think coming into the season, sure, they lost Jimmy Butler, but they replaced, you know, they basically essentially replaced Jimmy Butler with Richardson and Al Horford, right? Like that's a, you know, that's a pretty nice um, talent swap there when you think about it. And I think why I like the Sixers coming into the season, I think in a vacuum, all of these guys, Horford, Tobias Harris, uh, Ben Simmons, obviously Joel Embiid, uh, if these guys are playing up to if they're playing their best basketball, and of course, with a guy like Horford and certainly Ben Simmons, the context matters, right? The context sure. has to allow for them to be at their best. And I think that's the job of Brett Brown and his staff is to create a context that allows those guys to perform at the peak of their abilities. But I think, you know, in a vacuum, if you think about all of those guys playing at their best, I like them better than what Milwaukee has right now. You know, wow. I like okay. them better than what um Miami has right now. And I think that's what the model was seeing when they picked them, you know, when they when they was like, all right, this team has a great prob- probability of coming out the East and here's why. And I get that, you know, the model underestimated Boston and Toronto uh, and uh, and certainly Indiana the way I definitely did. But I can understand why people um were high on them to come into the season because me, because quite, quite frankly, me, when I've watched them against the Bostons, and the Milwaukee's and, you know, the Raptors and the Heats, they felt every bit th- these teams equals. And I think what in a playoff setting when, you know, Embiid is allowed to play 40 minutes a game and and and, mm. and that type of stuff, I think they're going to be the toughest out in the East still. I haven't wavered. I still think they're coming out of the East. Well, they, uh, they, they certainly um... – and beat the mess out of Milwaukee on, on Christmas day, which, you know, I, I know they did not take that lightly. Now, now that game, I think it's interesting to note. It took them hitting 21 threes to do it. Yeah. And I, I don't exactly. think they've had more than 15 in any other game this season. So that was a, you know, a huge anomaly for them. 
Um, and obviously that's one of their concerns is do they have enough shooting on the floor at all times? And yeah, I don't, I, I don't think they do either. Um, yeah. you know, I think it's going to take Tobias Harris. I don't think he has the luxury of disappearing anymore without a Reddick and without a Jimmy Butler. There are times where the shooting is just not, um, robust enough, you know, in, in my opinion. So they're, they're going to need big performances from him. Um, I, I, I like them a lot. I mean, I, I think that we all had some questions about the fit, but we all figured pretty clearly that their defense, you know, was just going to be a pain in the butt to try to, to score on them. And I think that will become more and more true as they spend more time playing together. My only question again, goes back to the idea of, um, you obviously want your guys to to gel and to play together more and to get a comfort level playing together. Um, but Embiid playing 40 minutes is great. Assuming he stays healthy one, but two also assuming that him playing 40 minutes doesn't make it more difficult for your other guys to go off. And, and if, if Simmons and Horford for whatever reason, don't really play their best when Embiid is also there and you're having Embiid on the court for 40 minutes, it just makes me wonder uh, whether, um, teams can can maximize that and take advantage of the fact that certain guys are going to be like Horford looks lost. I mean, statistically, he's a totally different player when he's not on the floor with Embiid, and I think that sort of thing worries me a little bit. And that's what I'm saying. And maybe it's a hindsight sort of argument, but I I remember being surprised at the time that they were throwing that much money at Horford just because I thought that the the need for a point guard to just let Simmons kind of roam and do whatever he needs to do was was better for them, but. But we'll, we'll get a chance to see. And it, I mean, it, it, it's such an interesting, I really hope we get a chance to see the Sixers and the Bucks because I, I really do feel like those are the two best teams with all respect to Miami. Uh, I, I, I just find it hard to believe that they're going to be the best team or the second best team to come out of the East, even if record wise, it shows that. Um, but I, I would really not sign me up for the idea of a Sixers Bucks series for sure. I, I tend, I continue to believe that part of the reason they went for Horford was not about the basketball. It was about showing Joel Embiid a, a grown ass man, adult, and having a guy, you know, a team guy to kind of say, Joel, you know, get over yourself. You know, it's not all about Instagramming and all that and being the most popular, mm. tallest Twitter follower in the country. <laughs> you know, think about, think about the game a little bit more. And I, and we won't know until the end of the year, if that, if those lessons have taken hold or not. So I didn't kill them for that. I actually thought it was a good signing. It was a little, you know, it's a little high for me at the back end, but I think if you have a, a window, you need Joel Embiid to be, at his maximum best, and that means not only at his as a player, but as a person in terms of maturity and getting other guys to follow him. So I think I I, I was not bad about that. I think that that there's a there's a hidden value to Horford that hopefully you'll see with them in the playoffs. But I, you know, it's fascinating to me. I'm just glad that we can have a discussion about the East, where there's some legitimate, really good teams in the East Cup this year. That, um, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that the West team is going to win the championship. And I'll tell you this. I mean, we would talk about this a little a little bit down the road as well. But, you know, I just I just hope Milwaukee can be viewed on their own merits. You know what I mean? Just like on the own merits of what they've done in terms of putting a good team around Giannis as opposed to just you know, kind of looking at your watch and wondering when 2021 is going to come around and when he's going to leave and all that nonsense. 
Seriously. You know what I mean? Just like, why can't we just enjoy the kid, enjoy that team, and enjoy the building, enjoy the city, and have some brats and a beer for a minute? You know what I'm saying? What's this? Come on, man. It's not the worst place to be, you know? So anyway, that's just my rant, man. <laughs> Chris, before we get you out of here, um, and 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 Dave just mentioned some of the quality teams in the East. Uh, what are the numbers saying about these other guys? And do you buy the idea that anybody besides Milwaukee or Philly will come out of the Eastern Conference ultimately? Not really. Uh, I mean, but that's just that's me personally yeah. when I look at it. I mean, I, I kind of was late to the game in terms of really trusting Boston. Um, I, they, they still impressed me from the standpoint of, you know, think about it this way. You're losing Horford and, the, you know, they, they obviously had Tice on the roster already. So the guy you're replacing Horford with, in effect, was Ennis Cantor, um, which when you talk about defensive replacements, that's, that's about as big a shift as you can really go through. And, you know, obviously Kyrie, we all knew that they were losing him. Um and Kemba, you know, I think Kemba actually is a really interesting sort of replacement for him. Uh, offensively, he, he brings a ton to the table. I was concerned, I guess, when you factor in cancer and then uh, Kemba coming in for Kyrie and Kemba being a smaller guy than Kyrie, I just figured that they might struggle a little bit more defensively. And, you know, at times the last few seasons, that's been their calling card, even if they struggle on offense with some of the young guys they've had with Tatum and, and Brown. Um, they had their defense to fall back on. So the fact that their defense has been a top five unit again, I think, you know, even if they were struggling on offense, their defense would kind of cover them more than I expected it was going to. Um, so our model, I'm looking at it right now. It gives four of those teams from the East a 1% chance or better than getting to the finals and winning the whole thing. Wow. The Bucks, <laughs> the Sixers, the Raptors, which I, I think I can explain that. And then the Celtics have exactly a 1% chance. Please explain the Raptors. <laughs> the only way I can explain it, I think, is that our our model gives a bonus to teams that have uh, extensive playoff experience. And so obviously after last year, that would bolster them more because they won the whole thing. They played a ton of postseason games. And, and when you think about it, the last few years, they played – a lot of postseason games then just run into the buzzsaw that is LeBron James. So they, they get a boost from that. Whereas like the heat, for instance, would not, um, you know, the Pacers might get some, but some of the guys they've had, have, you know, uh, left the team and gone elsewhere with Bogdanovich and, and different people like that. So that I think explains like why the Pacers have less than a 1% chance and why the heat have a less than 1% chance, but the Celtics get a 1%. And the Raptors get a 3%. But it's basically just the Bucks and the Sixers that kind of dominate, you know, our, our model in the East. So I, I still tend to think it's between those two. I would give a pretty heavy leg up to the to the Bucks and then say the Sixers after that. Um, I just think the other teams are kind of a few short, even to the point where, like I said before, the Raptors might be third in the East as far as what our projections say and what they think. But um, I wouldn't put it past Messiah at all to, to trade away one of these key pieces just because mm -hmm. you know they've got they're going to have suitors wanting those guys because they feel like they would put them over the top and um you know Masai has never been a guy that um that lets emotion cloud what he's thinking for building for the future um then you know i can think about rudy gay and i can think yeah, of sure. that sound Rose, you hear is the like, bus rolling over <laughs> the mar de <laughs> carcass i mean clearly 
Clearly. So, I mean, that's, and that's what I'm saying with OKC is like, I kind of tend to think that Presti is more along those lines too. But yeah. um, I think that that alone is the reason that the Raptors are slotted behind the Bucks and the Sixers and ahead of those other teams is that um, they have more experience in, in the recent history and their guys have kind of been through the fire, but without a Kawhi type figure, um, you know, and obviously uh, Siakam has played his butt off when he's been healthy this year, but without, you know, a top line guy along with Siakam and Lowry, um, I tend to think that they're, you know, that they're not a real threat to get to the finals. Yeah. Well, man, Chris, this has been great. Uh, always good to, to go around the league and chop it up with guys that, that follow it and really write well about it. And appreciate you coming on this week. And we will definitely have you on again, hopefully before the playoffs. I really look forward to that, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Chris. No problem. All right. He's good, man. Wow. So we got to get him on again. He, he was bringing some good knowledge there. Enjoyed, enjoyed talking to him. Man, I, I love it, man. And, and I love the fact that he's a brother that's good with the numbers just to show these yeah. people out here that we can do that, too. Exactly. Exactly. It's very important. Very important. Uh, but we got to finish, as always, with the style rankings, the weekly style rankings. Hey, bro, I don't know if it was like the, you had to give the people what they wanted, but, you know, no. we, we dropped <laughs> We dropped some new folks in there this week. It, it, it absolutely <laughs> wasn't giving the people what they wanted. It just happened to cause I would never do that for a Good. few, <laughs> a few disgruntled folks in the comment Leave section. Up. But you know, at the same time, again, I, I have to stress this, David. I'm on Getty Images, looking at picture after picture after picture of right. these dudes, and I promise you, I'll challenge anyone to show me the people who I'm looking over. Or, right. you know, leaving off on purpose. I'm trying my best to get the new energy in there. And finally. Well, you did. You and did. And I did. And finally, Westbrook, who, you know, who's somebody who, again, like when you think about just the, this topic, it's Westbrook yeah. people are thinking about these days, right? And finally, he wore some right. stuff that I liked. And, you know, this, the, this, the, the OKC homecoming, David, I, I'm sorry. I, I, like, I, I have yeah. a. I have a hang up about sports fandom in generally. And yeah. a lot of it is that I think we excuse a lot of annoying sports fan behavior. And mm. just in this country in general, that's something that gets excused all the time, right? Like just right. some of the, just, just the behavior of sports, sports fans in general just gets on my nerves. But Westbrook going to OKC. <laughs> In a, you know, in basically merch from his clothing line and selling right. that merch at this game to those same fans, <laughs> I just thought was high level performance art. And so I had to give it up to him this week. And then, of course, yeah. Tyler Hero with the fur. Come well, on. I was going to say, uh, now I wanted to talk about Tyler Hero wearing dead animals. I thought that was out. I mean, but that's clearly that's clearly a pelt. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely frowned upon. Over yeah. here where I'm where I'm living these days. Um that's definitely not something that people do. Um, but I give it up to Hero being in New York and you know, I think from the first from even from draft night, he had a pretty snazzy suit on. He he made his presence known and was like, This is something that I'm interested in. And so, you know, he went to New York, the fashion capital of the world, and he did his thing, so I had to give it up to the young fella. 
All right, two more. I want to hit you real quick. I agree with you completely on Jordan Clarkson. Frankly, that's something I expect Melania to be wearing. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, come on. Come on. I don't know anything about fashion. I know nothing about fashion. But that's not something I expect to see an NBA player walk into an arena with. You know, come on. I don't even know what that is. So, but the last one, finally, Kelly Oubre. Getting some love from Waz. How do you do it this week? <laughs> the Phoenix Suns did um, an incredible charity event. It was a fashion show, and they got a bunch of local youth involved, and they raised a lot of money. From what I understand, hundreds of thousands of dollars were raised yeah. um, in an effort, you know, to support local charities in Phoenix. And actually, Kelly Oubre and uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank on the the the, the center's name? The the young kid. Oh, uh, oh, uh, DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton. There you go. I don't, I don't know why I couldn't think of this guy's name. Now, I, I had a senior moment. You have no excuse, yeah, man. No, I know. Him and DeAndre Ayton actually curated and organized and not organized, but they came up with the creative elements of the event. Um, and it's always dope when you can get kids involved because, yeah. you know, and I tell people all the time that the, the only thing that keeps you from being a complete cynic working in the media mm-hmm. and going to, you know, NBA game after NBA game is how legitimately geeked kids are at every single absolutely. game. Like they absolutely. are absolutely in it. They are loving it. And it kinds of, you know, it kind of stops you from getting too jaded as an old washed up grizzled person, right? <laughs> like you become more cynical as you get older and you, you know, you look at these things with a sort of skeptical eye as you of get course. older, but the the children who are involved and love the sport and love the players so much, you know, I just thought it was a dope event that they put on. So I wanted, and it was a fashion show. So I wanted to yeah. give it up to Kelly Oubre, even though I'm not buying his whole goth, you know, <laughs> the whole I'm an outsider aesthetic. Like I, I'm old enough to remember my high school years. And I remember those kids quite vividly. None yeah. of them hooped. None of them were all Americans, all city and right. basketball. I'm sorry. I don't buy right. it. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there with you. I'm going to take that uh, under advisement, but I'm glad to see Kelly got a little bit of ink this week on the uh, weekly style power rankings that you can read on the athletic.com. Waz does a great job on that and other topics, other podcasts as well. And I want to thank you for listening to this one. And if you like us, leave us a review, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and leave the five star, please. If you don't like us, keep it to yourself as always. And we'll talk to you again next week.